Okay, I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 10 and through to chapter 3, verse 1. Um, just to explain, if you're following in the church Bibles, what I'm reading is very slightly different. I don't know how it is, it's still the NIV apparently, but this one, uh, the reading that I'm reading, is, uh, um, it's got gender-inclusive language, which I think is important for this reading. Um, and also there's one or two slight um, differences. So if you're following in the Bible, that's, you find it very slightly different. But Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again he says, here I am and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he, he, sorry, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Thanks for the privilege of being able to preach and it is a privilege when you come to a passage like this. I love Hebrews, there's just so much in it that is encouraging. But I want us to start by thinking about thinking. What uh, sort of things do we think about day by day and hour by hour? What sort of things fill our minds. Maybe it's all the things we have to get done. Lots of us are busy people, might be jobs around the home, things that need organising, stuff that needs sorting. Perhaps what fills the thoughts of many of us are thoughts of our families, how they're doing, particularly if they're going through a hard time or facing some crisis. Maybe what fills our thoughts are things that we've seen 
come across on the internet, seen on the television, heard on the radio. In these days when the news is uh, available 24 hours a day, perhaps our minds are often preoccupied with the troubles that we see on our screens. Or perhaps our minds are more often on more trivial things like uh, that, that we see on our screens, like um, what's happening in Emmerdale or Corrie. Perhaps our minds are taken up often, perhaps too often, with how our team is doing, whether they can win their next match or avoid the drop. So I wonder what sort of things do fill our minds, hour by hour and day by day. I came across this on the internet, a site which said, had this title, 10 things we think about too often. 10 things we think about too often. Now I'm not going to go through the whole 10, but I picked out four of them which I thought were particularly appropriate. The first one is what we fear. What we're afraid of. Spending far too much time worrying about the possibility of bad things happening to us. Second thing I picked up on was old mistakes. Poor decisions, bad things that we may have said or done, things that we've done wrong in the past that still bother us. Another thing that we think about perhaps too often are old wounds, hurts from the past that we can't seem to let go of. And then the fourth thing that I picked up on, things we think about too often, was what we don't have. Now I think that site, with those things particularly, had a good, uh, some good points there. Things we think about too often. In the last verse of the reading, which was the first verse of Hebrews chapter 3, the writer to Hebrews calls upon his readers to do this. He says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Other translations have, consider Jesus, think carefully about Jesus. Whatever normally fills our thoughts, whether it's what we've seen or heard on television or on the net, whether it's concerns about our family, worries about all sorts of things, whether it's things from the past, what we've done or other people have done, surely to fix our thoughts on Jesus is good advice and help, will help us to get our um, thinking and our lives in perspective, help us to make right choices in our living. So I want to look at the rest, what the rest of the passage says, or some of what the rest of the passage says, about Jesus and um, who he is. And the first thing I want to pick up on is that Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation. That's from Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. And the word translated as pioneer in, um, in some versions it's a multifaceted Greek word that other versions translate as leader, captain, author, guide, founder, and so on. Now I found pioneer particularly helpful because it speaks of forging a way ahead. Who of you can remember the first person in space? Any of us? Gareth? No, no, he was the first person on the moon, wasn't he? Yeah, it's the first person in space. 
Like Yuri Gagarin. Yuri Gagarin. Thanks, George. Yeah, Yuri Gagarin was the first person in space. He was a pioneer. Now, many other people have gone into space since then, but Yuri Gagarin was the first man, the pioneer that others have followed. And Jesus is the one who is the... Sorry? You've forgotten somebody. What's that? Valentina Tereshkova. Right. First woman. She was, yeah, okay. The first person in space, okay? Okay, so... Right. Um, So... Yuri Gagarin was the the pioneer, others followed. Jesus is a pioneer, and Jesus is the pioneer in suffering and death. Not because he was the first to die, but the first to go through death and be raised from death. Now we'll come back to that in a few minutes, but I think we need to stop and consider the phrase that if you were following carefully, you might have made you think a bit, and question is the phrase in which the writer to Hebrews says this he speaks of Jesus being made perfect through suffering now is the writer to Hebrews saying that Jesus was at one time not perfect but something happened to him to make him perfect now well if we're thinking of moral perfection the answer to that question is a very definite no Jesus was always perfect. As the writer says later on in Hebrews, he was tempted just as we are, yet without sin. But when we think of Jesus as being a leader, a pioneer, he needed to experience suffering firsthand to fulfil that role. Came across this quote from someone called Thomas Long. It was through suffering that Jesus was shaped and fashioned to perform his task in the drama of redemption. If Jesus hadn't suffered, how could we expect him to have any understanding or sympathise with us as we suffer? It was therefore right and proper, fitting for God to make the leader of our salvation perfect for that role through suffering. Taking this from a slightly different angle, the passage also speaks of Jesus being our brother. Way back um, when Marlene and I lived in Alton Broad, we had very close friends, a married couple who had two delightful children, James and Esther. And I can remember so clearly their mum saying to James, who was the older one, look after Esther, look after your little sister. And I think that's what a good older brother does. He looks after the younger brother or sister. I like to think that when my younger brother started at the same uh, secondary school that that I was at, I'd been there for a couple of years. I like to think that I looked out for him until he got used to things, until he knew the ropes. It's what older brothers should do, isn't it? And amazingly, Jesus is our older brother. He's been the way we are going before us. He knows the ropes. He's looking out for us as an older brother would do. Now James was sometimes a bit reluctant to look after his little sister Esther, 
But Jesus is not reluctant to look after us. Sometimes I know younger siblings can be a bit of an embarrassment to older ones. The older one might be, feel a bit inhibited by the presence of the younger sibling, might feel they get in the way. But listen to what it says in this passage. Both the one who makes people holy and the, those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Isn't that great? Even though I often feel pretty hopeless as a Christian, I know that I've let Jesus down lots of times. Those times are forgiven and he's not ashamed to call me his brother. He's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. So then, Jesus, the pioneer of our salvation. Secondly, Jesus as the conqueror of death. One path that Jesus, our leader, the pioneer of our faith, has taken before us is that of dying, the path of death. Earlier on, I spoke of the things that we may think about too often. Well, probably death is not one of those things. Mostly we cope with death mainly by just not thinking about it or certainly not talking about it. Sometimes we cope with death by making a joke of it, like Woody Allen, who had a couple of things to say about death. This was one of them. I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it through not dying. Or again... I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. There are times though when death can't be ignored, particularly when a friend or family member dies, when those relationships are broken by death, it brings the bitterness of death right home to us and reminds us of our mortality. But, but, is surely of great strengthening comfort to know that at those times we can reach out by faith to a saviour who has faced death and gone through death himself. That's what verse 9 of Hebrews tells us of Jesus. He tasted death for everyone. Jesus tasted all the humiliation and bitterness of death for everyone, for all of us. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand more about the death of Jesus, more than that he led the way through death, wonderful though that is. He says this in verses 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Of all the fears that beset us as humans, the fear of death is surely the greatest and most natural. But through his own death, Jesus can bring us freedom from that fear. When Jesus died on the cross, 
He took upon himself the full force of evil and though it seemed for a short time that evil had triumphed, Jesus came through death to a wonderful resurrection. The devil's power was broken, he was disarmed and he will be eventually completely destroyed. When we think about death, when we face death ourselves, we do not have to fear. For Jesus, our leader, the pioneer of our salvation, has led the way through and defeated the devil. Jesus, our brother, the pioneer of our salvation. Jesus as the one who tasted death and conquered it. And thirdly, Jesus as the one who is able to help us when we are tempted. Perhaps when people talk about temptation, often the uh, sort of things that come to mind are temptations to indulge our appetites. Maybe an appetite for chocolate, maybe for sex, perhaps you would call those temptations of the flesh. But I think we need to think much more widely than those temptations. And I want to suggest some other things that we may not immediately have in our minds when we think of temptation. And I think discouragement is a temptation that is easy to fall into. Discouragement when we fail as Christians, fail to be the sort of people we would want to be. Or discouragement if we don't see the gospel making an impact on our society which we feel it ought to. Or what about the temptation to grumble? Any of you remember the television series a few years ago called Grumpy Old Men? Which uh, it turned into another series called Grumpy Old Women, I think. And that, uh, those series picked up on something um, which is probably a characteristic as we grow older. So a characteristic of many of us, or some of us complaining about a lot of things. I guess in terms of television, the standout grumpy old man was Victor Meldrew of One Foot in the Grave. Temptation to discouragement, temptation to grumble. What about a temptation to turn away from God? In our house group a few weeks ago, we were looking at the beginning chapters of Job. For Job, his awful suffering a huge temptation for him to turn away from God. His wife speaks out that temptation to him. Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die, she says. Fortunately, it was a temptation that Job did not fall into. I wonder what temptations you face. I guess that the root of all temptation is one, a temptation not to trust God. Not to trust his loving care for us. Not to trust him that he is for us, not against us. Not to trust that his ways are best. Not to trust his word. Listen, says the writer to Hebrews, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 
But I think that poses a question for us. How does Jesus help us when we are tempted? And I want to suggest three ways. Firstly, through his example. We read of how Jesus battled with doing the will of God, particularly in Gethsemane, knowing it would bring him suffering, and yet he trusted that somehow God would bring him through that suffering. We read of his temptations in the wilderness, temptations to take a different path to what God wanted, yet he trusted the word of God. And of course, he had read and knew the scriptures so that he could use them in combating his particular temptations. The example of Jesus. Secondly, Jesus helps us because he's praying for us. Christ Jesus, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. And here we must remember again that Jesus became fully human. He experienced what it's like to live as a human being in a broken world. A little further on in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, the writer speaks of Jesus being able to sympathise with our weaknesses because he was tempted just as we are. And of course, those verses introduce us to a major theme in Hebrews, Jesus as a merciful and faithful high priest. And particularly when we are tempted to be discouraged or maybe depressed because of our own failures, we should take heart that our merciful and faithful high priest has dealt with our sins on the cross. Our sins are wiped out, removed, and we are reconciled to God through Jesus. Jesus' example, Jesus is praying for us. Thirdly, by the work of his Holy Spirit within us. Holy Spirit's in the business of making us more like Jesus. And perhaps the key to cooperating with the Spirit is to have our minds set on what the Spirit desires rather than what our sinful nature desires. As Paul writes of in Romans chapter 8 verse 5. Rather than thinking of how to please ourselves, to be thinking creatively about how we can care for and serve others. Rather than thinking of what will be good for us, to be thinking of how we can help others. So it seems like we come back to what fills our minds. And what fills our minds will help us to make the right choices, particularly when we're tempted to make wrong ones. So then we've looked at how Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation, how he is the one who conquered death, how he's the one who helps us when we're tempted. Underlying all these things is the truth about Jesus becoming human, made like his brothers and sisters in every way. I'm going through the first few chapters of Hebrews, have been going through them, using the Scripture Union encounter with God notes. And when it came to this passage, the, um, with Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1, fill, fix your thoughts on Jesus in it, the writer of the notes 
made this suggestion. In the pressures of modern life, it's hard to focus on Jesus. Why not set an alarm for times in the day to do that, to think about him? Now, you may not, may not find that a helpful suggestion, but I hope that we all, in the week ahead, will think carefully about Jesus. We'll fix our thoughts on him, the pioneer of our salvation, our brother, the one who's defeated death, the one who's able to help us when tempted, and the one who's much, much more besides. Amen.